The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit fef.law. Hello, friends. Thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we're going to cover some transfer speculation. We'll talk about Austin's new, newly announced second team, and we'll cover some other Austin FC news. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley, and I had a wonderful morning at Hop Squad on Sunday watching the World Cup final with Steph and Mike and my son, Jackson, and a Yeti mug that may have been full of both coffee and fireball. And watch <laughs> one of the best matches I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it was incredible. What a game, yeah. man. Wow. That was great. Yeah. we I went up to uh, Luster Pearl South um, and met a few people out there, but it was insane. Just uh, Argentina goes up 2-0. I, I wanted Argentina to win. And so Argentina goes up 2-0. And at that point, like, I mean, I wanted Argentina to win, but I don't have a real dog in this fight. So it was like, I'd take a France goal about now to make it a little more interesting. And then they got one and then immediately got that other one. I was like, okay, yes, this is what I wanted to happen. Uh, but it was, it was electric. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I felt like when Argentina was up to nil, that that was exactly uh, what the score should be. And in, in terms of the way that both teams play, like it's a well-earned two nil halftime lead. And then gosh, yeah, France, I mean, Mbappe uh, just was, incredible just like a game-changing and I you know player I think the best thing about that match for me was the fact that I mean it was intense you got goals from both clubs um in extra time and then uh just like the stars showed up you know the people who you expect to be the Mbappe and Messi that to score the goals will score the goals so was, was Luster Pearl South the uh, is that the were you at ATXFC house is that the no, no that east. was the east, east location right. okay. so uh, this was definitely, I mean, it was less of a production than what the East location had, definitely. But by the time the game started, it was a decent crowd. And then by the end of the game, everybody was way into it. So it ended up being a pretty good atmosphere. But uh, yeah, it, it would have been nice to have the company of Mike and Steph because I've watched games with him and it's always fun, especially a game that you're like not super intensely involved in to just kind of like, uh, I don't know, make jokes and yeah, they're, have funny, fun little commentary throughout the game. <laughs> yeah, they're, they were great at that. They were both great at that. A hop Squad was eventually wall-to-wall people uh, in standing room only, and their bathrooms went out, so... Oh, no. <laughs> they were officially closed. They're like, we're not going to throw you out, but you can't. You like When the game's over, you have to leave. But the most interesting thing about watching the game with them was if Argentina won, then... I don't think I'm breaking any news here, but if Argentina won, then there was a tie in their World Cup pool, and they had decided that the deciding factor would be PKs. And I was like, <laughs> PKs in against each other? In what way? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So their plan is sometime this week <laughs> to go to the park and take PKs against each other to settle to settle the winner of their pool, which I think is just like the <laughs> most incredible, sweet, sweetest thing I've ever heard. I loved it. And the other thing I figured out is like Mike has basically never played soccer in his life and I'm not much ahead of him. So we want to start like a men's game. We're not a men's game. We want to start a like co-ed game. But there's like a ceiling for how good you are. (laughs) (laughs) If you're too good, you if you're too good, you can't play. You can't play with us. We need like people who are kind of interested in playing, but really, really bad because we feel intimidated going to any other match. So that was that was what I found 
from 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 that. In addition to it being probably the greatest cup final in the history of the sport. All right, so the World Cup is now officially over. We are now uh, officially in holiday season. And so let's go over kind of what the next few weeks are going to look like for us schedule-wise. So we were planning on talking about the 2023 MLS schedule and the Austin FC schedule this week because the MLS schedule was scheduled to come out last Thursday. But in true MLS fashion, that didn't happen and is instead happening today, Tuesday, the day this show comes out. We're recording on Monday, and so we haven't seen that yet. Um, But we're also planning on taking the week after Christmas off. And so we will have a schedule breakdown. It's just going to be the first show of the new year. But we will have a show the day after Christmas. And I'm excited about what this show is. And I don't know exactly what it is other than our friend Marcelo Tesson, who's probably the happiest guy in the world right now, being an Argentinian. <laughs> and I have not texted him to congratulate him, and I feel a little bit bad about it. So, Marcelo, if you're listening, good for you, man. Um, but he's insanely in some amount of game design for the show that will come out on the 26th. Yeah, but the, the idea is going to be like a trivia quiz show kind of thing. And apparently Marcelo was like way into it and told us like, I'm not going to tell you too much about it because that's going to be part of the fun. But we may end up having a video element to it, which if that works out, I think we'll probably post on the Patreon. Uh, but he did promise that it will still work in audio format. So uh, well, that's going to be the show next week. And if any like insane news happens, we'll probably record like a little addendum and tag that onto it. But uh, next week we will have a show, but we are going to take the week off and maybe just have uh, some relaxation time with family. And then between then and the show that comes out on January 3rd, which we will record on the 2nd, um, we're going to do another little like uh, New Year's Day hangout and drink beer kind of event, which we did last year. With a lot of success. I think we had 35 or 40 people showed up. Met a bunch of people we had not talked to before. I think it was the first time I talked to Steph and Mike, I think, in, like in person. For sure in person. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I, I I think I had... Yeah, I had met them before, but I think it was probably the first time you met them in person. Um, yeah, there's several people who like I've seen since then, uh, but that was the first time I talked to a lot of them. So we're going to do that again. Hopefully... Folks will will be able to come out and and hang out and we I, I would I would like for this to become like a tradition and and grow it over the years. But um, if any of our friends in the alcoholic beverage industry or any kind of beverage or food or whatever, if you would like to uh, donate to this get together, we'd be happy to uh, say your your product's name on the the show and thank you on the show and then tell all the people there that you are kind enough to give it to us. But um, yeah, if you're free on New Year's Day, come hang out with us. We'll post some more details um, on social media as we get closer to the day and make some more plans. But come out if you can. It'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be in the afternoon. It'll be somewhere around the stadium. I don't even know if the place that we usually, that we've done it in the past is like around or if it's a construction site right now. So we'll figure it out and go from there. 
All right, uh, let's jump into our first little bit of Austin FC news, which is this. See, I, this seems like it happened forever ago, but it happened on a Tuesday, which is why it feels like forever ago. It's the day after we recorded last. But this is the new Austin FC two details. Jeremiah, do you want to go through some of the highlights here and maybe some of the the bits that stood out to you? Yeah, and a little bit of this we covered the week before because Claudio talked about how many players we would expect to be on the contract. And um, I think the questions that we get a lot of are like, who exactly is going to play on OSFC2? And what's the relationship between people playing up or people playing down? So if you think about it at the most basic level, OSFC2 is going to comprise first-team players on MLS contracts, mostly players who aren't getting minutes, the Rodney Redis's of the world. Like for for lack of a better example, players signed directly to Austin FC two, which we expect to be from Claudio's interview on Verde and Black to be fourteen to eighteen players, and then also academy players on amateur contracts who are playing up. So that's sort of that's the base of it. So if you think about it, I think Adrian talked about that on the on the on that podcast as being like a reserve team or U twenty three team. If you're familiar with, um, with the Premier League or if you're familiar with American baseball, then it would be like a Triple A club um, and basically it's designed to allow for players at all levels of the organization to get some amount of playing and training experience that's right for them to help uh, with this continuum of development like all the way through the academy system to this in-between system with MLS Next Pro and then into the first squad and so the name was also announced with this and it was Exactly what we, I think we predicted it to be on the show a while back, which is Austin FC 2. I know a lot of people are upset about that, but um, I, like we said, this is always what it was going to be. Yeah. The only time that people have names other than either, either like two, two, two letter I's, the Roman two, or just the number two, um, or usually if the club, the Bus Next Pro Club is playing in a city that's not where the parent club is, is. And so there's like some value in establishing an independent brand. But if you look just quickly through it, like Chicago fire two, earthquakes two, inner Miami two, Philadelphia union two, sporting KC two, TFC two, called rapids two, FC Cincinnati two, Minnesota United two, and so on and so on. Like it's very much the standard St. Louis city, all in caps too. Um, that, 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 that's the way that, uh, that these, these clubs are developed in names. So no surprises at all there. There's really like not a lot of upside, to Austin FC to develop a different brand, but they did like it was like a slightly different badge that's still, um, yeah, st- still consistent with the first team, very much leaning to the AX- ATX FC uh, brand. But I mean, that, that's somewhat interesting. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of like the badge, actually. Like, I, I like that they are distinguishing the brand a little bit in that way, where it doesn't say Austin; it says ATX FC two on the badge so that the letters fit, but I kind of like that it is distinct looking and they didn't just like, I don't know, Microsoft paint a two onto the, the first team crest, which is very much like I'm looking at the MLS next pro club site is the approach that a lot of the other teams have. It's just (laughs) the parent logo with a two somewhere on it. So we also got uh, the announcement of the coach for Austin FC two. And I was able to go out to that press conference and talk to the coach whose name is Brett Utley. It's a lot of, um, a lot of T's in that, by the way. Yeah. Two T Brett with two T's and then two T's and Utley. 
but he was part of Dave Tinney's staff in Seattle. So he was actually part of the high performance staff there. And then uh, was the first assistant at RGV for three years and then was in Miami for two, two and a half, two, two seasons, something like that, and ended up as first team technical staff there. And so he's only 33 years old, but has quite a bit of experience developing and training players. Seems like a, a sharp guy, like um, looking back into some of his background. And I found this this interview with him kind of talking about his his coaching journey where he talked about uh, going to Barcelona to do this coaching course and kind of making decisions that he knew would make his his life and financial situation more difficult in the moment, but he knew that it would make him a better coach and a smarter soccer person through that process. And so it, it makes sense to me knowing like who Claudio is, who Josh Wolf is, that they would hire a guy like this who, who seems to really think that way. One thing that he did talk a lot about in, at this, this press event was, he used the word bridge a lot saying that the, the next pro team is a bridge to the first team, like a bridge between the Academy and the first team. And so going back to the, the name Austin FC two, it's like you said, it's not in a different city, so there's no real reason to rebrand it, but also this team does not exist to like create hype about itself or to, uh, create some new brand or anything like that. This team exists to serve the first team. And so all decisions will be made with like the idea of like, okay, how is this going to make this player or this group of players more ready to play first team soccer at some point? And I think that was really clear with, with what Brett Utley said in, uh, in this press event in conjunction with everything that we already know about what MLS Next Pro is. Well, so one question, or one thought I have on that is that when this MLS Next Pro was, maybe this is my naivete, but when we were first, when that was first announced, like as someone who kind of enjoys some like USL matches, right? Between like Phoenix and Louisville and some of the like unique environments they create, like I felt like it was MLS just trying to lock USL out um, of the soccer pyramid. But when you're here, stuff like this, like you understand like the real advantage to the first team clubs to not send players to the USL or not like strictly just have a USL affiliate and sort of understand like where it fits in the system, which is something I had not thought a lot about until really now these things that we know about the MLS Next Pro affiliates like coming coming to bear. And it's that. Because like if, if it was, a, even if it was a USL team that was wholly affiliated with, um, MLS, like the RGV club, you still have some pressure to like win in front of your home fans and get people to show up so you can sustain a club. And that's not true here. Like your focus is really on being that bridge and really on building the first team. Yeah. And there's, I know among USL fans, that was a point of contention where you're playing against teams who are not really taking the competition seriously. Um, and they're fielding a team half full of 17 year olds against your team of grown men who like, this is their job and they have like a dedicated fan base and you travel away to like Red Bull two or uh, like RSL's second team. And they just roll out a team of 17 year olds 
and you just beat up on kids in front of zero fans. And it's like, this is not like, this is not enjoyable for anybody. It's not good for the league's image. It's not good for the other team's fans. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there was a lot of concern about like within USL or people who have an interest in USL that this was MLS trying to lock them out some, which I'm sure is true to some extent, but I think this could be a good thing for USL and a good thing for MLS where USL can really develop into a professional league. It's not a development league. It's a professional league. And they're getting closer to that every year. And by pulling out these development clubs away from that league, I think it it allows that league to really grow and shine a little bit more. Yeah. And I can only imagine what our friend Harry uh, from San Antonio is thinking about listening to this part of the show. But I have no doubt that he will talk to us about how he feels about it. Yeah, yeah. T- tell me if I'm off base anywhere, because Harry knows a lot about USL and has a lot of opinions about MLS. So um, I, I'd be I'd be very curious to hear Harry's thoughts on on MLS Next Pro now that it's fleshed out a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. So the one the one detail we did not get, which is one thing we've been very curious about, is where the team is going to play. And yeah, they seem it's very like close to the vest on that because like. And I think in both, because there were two different releases, right? So on Tuesday morning, the release came out saying, oh, here's the club and the name and the crest and all those things like that. And then on Tuesday afternoon, there was a press conference with a coach. And like in both those things, they said, TBD on further details, including where the club's going to play. Like, do you, I assume that we still believe it has to be Parmer Field, right? Do you have any other, anything that indicates otherwise? No, I don't. But it seems like for whatever reason, like that's not completely confirmed yet for one reason or another. And I think we said this on the last show or maybe a few weeks ago that I I don't believe the club owns that field. And so there is some type of agreement that needs to be uh, arranged with the owners of that that field to be able to use it. So maybe that's what we're waiting on. But uh, yeah, I, I've still not seen or heard anything that makes me think it's not going to be there. It would be super weird for them to be playing at, I don't know, Kelly Reeves and where else like would it St. Be? Edwards or like what? I was thinking the places where Austin FC played preseason matches before there was anywhere else to play. And those, oh, yeah, the Round Rock, the Round Rock, yeah, complex. yeah, complex or yeah, St. Edwards or yeah, or like a UT or whatever. It seems like a really weird place to play in, especially when you know they're training because that was another thing that they definitely made clear this week is like they're going to train alongside the first team and they're going to have the, I think like they own their own tech. There'll be a, a separate technical staff for Austin FC2, I think, right? They're trying to yeah. professionalize and like have the same level as the first team, but to have dedicated resources and not be sort of a secondary thought. So like you said earlier, I'm not at all surprised by, surprised by knowing Claudio that they would put this kind of thought investment into this, but I feel like that should give them a leg up because it's going to be a little bit unique, I think, probably from what everybody else does. Yeah, I'm interested to see what the um, the technical staff looks like as well because it's kind of an opportunity to build that kind of pipeline as well. You you see like these coaching trees all over the world, but in MLS as well, where like this guy coached under this guy, and like you see like these people's kind of followers or the people who learned under people branch out and end up into the league, and so. Um, like five, 10 years from now, we're probably going to see people like maybe Brett Utley in five years is coaching an MLS team or like one of the Academy coaches moves up and is, is coaching for the next pro team and then ends up doing other stuff. But I think that'll be interesting to see as well. 
Yeah, and that'd be great just in terms of Austin's development, right? Because like one would imagine Davey Arnault is going to get a professional, like a head job somewhere. And so yeah. if Brett Utley is ingrained in the system and understands the way Austin FC works, like maybe he's the next guy up in terms of being an assistant head coach. And there's no learning curve, you know, there's no a burden on that. Maybe it becomes a natural fit. All right. Uh, this week in wider MLS news, we have the MLS Super Draft, which is happening on Wednesday the 21st. Uh, it's it's a little less exciting than the last two Super Drafts, given Austin's spot in the picking order. We were number one the first year because we were expansion. We were number five the second year. Because we were bad. Because of <laughs> being bad at soccer. <laughs> and then this year we're good at soccer, but it means we're picking number 27 in this draft order. Um, what can we expect from this now? We're not going to have kind of the the pick of the litter like we did the last two years. So what do you think we can expect from this one? Right. Well, there's kind of, there's like two things I looked at. One is like our, our we could call my friend now, right? Matt Doyle did a rundown of all 29 teams, which we will post the link to here and what they what they would need. And for Austin, I think he said basically like anybody that can make the roster and play like some, yeah, a guy who can make the roster and pitch it and open cup games somewhere up the spine would be a major, would be a major victory here. So I think that's probably like what the best outcome is. Um, I went back and looked at the last five uh, years of teams that were picking where we are on the super draft, but it's basically third from the end. Uh, And there's not a lot of promise out there. Uh, there's a lot of guys who played a little bit in the USL somewhere and are no longer playing. I think the the best possible outcome was 2022's pick from Colorado, who's Anthony Markonich, who was in the squad 24 times and started three times for Colorado in MLS. But other than that, like it's a it's some people that never even saw a match on the first team at all. Like you're probably selecting for your MLS next pro squad at this point. Yeah, and I, I was looking back at last year's, and really, like once you get to the back half of the first round, most of those guys from there out on out do not play MLS minutes. Uh, there, there are exceptions to that. So I noticed the name Sofian Jeffall was yes. number thirty six last year. He ended up playing quite a bit. Uh, granted, it was for a really bad DC United team. I don't know in a better team he's getting as many minutes, but. You can get lucky and find guys that can play for you, but yeah, we're not getting a Danny Pereira. We're not getting a Kip Keller in this draft, more than likely. Um, I would say you, you mentioned the the next pro team, so I I was unable to find any clear information on this, but I don't know that you necessarily have the rights by picking them in the draft to sign them to your next pro team, and so. It, that there may be something written down that is not publicly available or that I wasn't able to find, but the way that I'm thinking about it, if this is true, like if you draft someone and then don't offer them an MLS contract that they could walk. Um, no, maybe that's not true. Cause I think you hold their rights for a year. But so I guess they could go back to college, I guess, but um, well, this I think one thing about this like does this uh, is this where the MS, the USL comes in because I would imagine like USL yeah rules are not bound by whatever 
whatever MLS is going to do. So maybe your choices are go back to college, go to USL. Well, but most of these guys are going to be seniors. Like the guys that Austin's picking are True. almost all going to be seniors. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, that's a good point. Like USL might start trying to snipe some of these guys who are who want to play first team minutes and don't get that contract offer. But that being said, a lot of these guys will be happy just to be playing professional soccer. Right. <laughs> and if if they see that next pro contract as a path, a potential path to the first team, then I imagine most of them will take it. Um, so I don't know if it's going to happen a lot, but it is a thing to, um, I don't know, to be aware of or to kind of look out for because there is competition now and this this kind of does change the pathway for folks. And I, I think it's good. Like I, I think if USL is pushing MLS to, to be better, like taking unused talent and developing it there, like I think that's good for American soccer. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm into it. Yeah. And in some way you can see like the, the, the players who are in this position wanting to like have the opportunity to go as you go to USL and really like show their skills just to the point where you, earlier we were talking about like the goal of the MLS next pro team is to feed the first club and not necessarily like to highlight individual talent. Whereas right. the goal of USL is to win games and for like the players who are the most talented in the moment to be able to, to show that and to succeed. And so maybe like somebody's like, you know what? I think the better path for me is to go to USL and like be on the, be on the all-star team that year and showcase myself in front of everybody in major league soccer and not necessarily be part of like a development academy. Yeah, because it's let's say you're a I don't know, a 23-year-old on on a next pro team and there's a promising 18-year-old at your same position. There's a there's a realistic scenario where they're like they're going to play that 18-year-old ahead of you because like you said the results don't matter as much. This is about development. And if they don't see you as an immediate option for the first team it's like okay let's develop this 18 year old but yeah in like you said in usl like no let's play the best players yeah yep we got a little uh tv news this week too this is something that we expected to happen there are a lot of different options in terms of where the mls linear tv contract one of the things i meant to do was look up what linear means and i did not so we're just gonna not streaming i mean i think yeah it means like regular old TV, right? <laughs> Except I consume it through YouTube TV, so it's still it's still streaming in a way. But I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you are you are using the streaming, but I guess it means like could potentially be on cable. There you go. So <laughs> so what whatever that means. We got the news that beyond the Apple TV deal that we've heard and talked a lot about and we will talk about more for sure when there is some like some amount of details around it when we get into next season. Uh, Major League Soccer announced this week the four-year linear television agreement with Fox Sports and Univision in the U. We'll just go with the U.S. part. There's some Canadian parts too. So there will be highlights-wise. There'll be 34 regular season games annually and eight playoff matches each season on Fox, FS1, and Fox Deportes. Um, a lot of those will be on Big Fox and not just FS1, which is uh, highlights. There'll be League Cup games on both of those and then uh Univision is going to cover League's Cup and uh, yeah it's just League's Cup actually so all the Spanish language games are going to be on Fox Deportes yeah and 
I know that ESPN was still kind of in the running for this or were rumored to still be interested in some of this, but they are not going to have anything um, as far as MLS is concerned. So yeah, just, just Fox as far as uh, any of these games go. I think one thing to worth, worth pointing out is that these are not exclusive games. And so all of the games that are on Fox will also be on the Apple package. And so if you're a season ticket holder, if you buy into this Apple package, you can still just watch them all there. You don't have to also have a Fox uh, subscription or whatever if Austin is that that high, that like highlighted game that week. Yeah, and I mean, one of these things this goes back to is this debate between the money uh, that the league got from Apple and sort of the casual fan and are you going to lose that on casual fans who might pick up soccer because they were already watching Fox Sports, they were already watching ESPN? Like, how do you feel about that balance? I was a little concerned about that, but I've heard several people make this point, and I, I think I agree with it, that people weren't accidentally watching MLS the way it has been. Like, how often does anybody really just, like, flick through channels anymore and just like, Oh, here's a sport that's on. Like, I just don't think that happens as much. You, you like find, you go out and find the things you want to watch, but like numbers were bad before, like on these Fox and ESPN games, like the numbers weren't good. And so it wasn't working. And so like anybody who did maybe stumble upon it. Yeah. We're going to lose out on those and numbers will probably, probably be lower, but I think like I kind of commend MLS for taking a big swing because it, there is a risk here, but what was what was going on wasn't working. And so they're going to try something new. And I think we're going to talk about this a little more in a, in a listener question a bit later on. But um, I think it's going to be what Apple and MLS make of it that that depends on whether or not it works or not. But I, I do like the idea that they're taking a swing on something different. Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. Like, I think it comes down to compelling content. And I believe that if you create compelling supplementary content that the average Apple TV subscriber is going to be more willing to buy the MLS package, that the average like sports fan is just going to suddenly decide to watch a random MLS game. Because I know, like, because I talked to, just talked about having YouTube TV. Like, I never go to the channel guide. Like I just like I I open up the home and 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 YouTube TV tells me like here are all the college football games and here are all the soccer matches on TV today right now and like those are the decisions I make but I'm never flipping through like all the ESPNs and all the Foxes just to see what might be on so I think and the other part of that is like as a um a person who runs advertising for a company that has a very specific audience like we're willing to pay a lot for that audience as opposed to paying for the whole world who might or might not consume our product. I think that's what, I think that's what Apple has going for it. It's like, that's like a hyper targeted group of people that that are the same people MS wants to reach. All right. We have uh, a few player rumors that we want to talk about. We also have some listener questions that we want to answer, but first we're going to take a quick break. Hang tight. We'll be right back with more Moon Tower Soccer. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by Sage Wilson Property Group. 
If you or someone you know are in need of Sage Real Estate advice in Austin, talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. You can find them online at sagewilson.com. And as always, Moot Tower Soccer is brought to you by your friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, client education, and not standing on top of wrecked cars on billboards. <laughs> you can go to FVF.law to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FVF.law. All right, we are back. We have, uh, is this maybe our first like zombie rumor that died and then came back? I believe it to be, other than maybe the, uh, who was the, who's the Mexican left back? Uh, who we had the rumor about and like it died. Moreno? Was his yeah, name yeah. Moreno? Yeah, Hector Moreno. Yeah. And then it, yeah. And then he showed up the trail of lights, but I feel like he was just, <laughs> but that was, he was just, no, no, that was, that was different. That was, um, uh, that was the fullback. Um, there was, yeah, the two, two Mexican players, Moreno was the one playing in, uh, like in Saudi Arabia or maybe in Qatar. And then the other one is a guy who played for, oh, this is going to bother me. Miguel Ayun was the one who was like in Austin actually. (laughs) Um, but yeah, those two kind of like came back like in kind of a close, close like proximity to the rumors. But this one was a full year ago, I believe. Right. I'm pulling up my notes here. I think it was like maybe in December or January when like Leo Weissenden was rumored to be in talks with Austin FC. And then he signed a new uh, a new contract with, uh, is it Elfs- Elfsborg? Yeah, Elfsborg in Sweden. Um, but yeah, all that to say, Leo Weissenden is a Finnish player, plays in Sweden right now was rumored to be in talks with Austin FC around a year ago. Another rumor popped up on Twitter. This is uh, Studio Allsvensk. I think this is still the only place we've seen this reported. And so not a ton of smoke, but still some smoke. And we've been talking about how we'd like to see a center back upgrade. And so this this might be uh, signs that Austin FC are, are thinking the same thing. Yeah, and one of the things about this one that makes it seem somewhat credible is the story has an acknowledgement that in the past, or at least once or maybe twice, that he's been linked to Austin. So it's not like somebody happened to dig up a story from a year ago, but it seems to be like yeah. new information and new rumor, which is the reason that we're talking about it on the show now. Because there's stuff that pops up all the time that is like just dated that somebody happens to stumble across. But um, what do you... I think you watched some film of him before. Like, what? What? What do you think about him as a player? I, I, the only thing I remember about him is that I got when we looked at him and Ruben is like he was younger, and so I was yeah. in favor of him, which is kind of dumb because I didn't watch a lot of tape. But like you, <laughs> you did. So like, talk about him as a player. I, I I was like pretty high on this kid when we were looking at him last year. He's uh, he's kind of in the same mold as Julio Cascante. But he is, he moves better than Julio. Like he's, I think he's more athletic, probably faster, a bit more agile than Julio, but can still play like that big, that big diagonal ball, plays the ball quite well. And so I was really into to this guy. So, I mean, if Austin goes after him, I'll be, I'll be pretty happy because I, I liked what I saw and he's been playing 
very regularly. I think I was trying to look because I think last year he'd been playing with the Finnish national team quite a bit in World Cup qualifying. I haven't seen, like, I don't think he's had that many call-ups in the last year, but in 2021, I think he was playing with them quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm into it if if they go for it. This was him, and there's another maybe slightly more credible rumor. This is, is it Czech Torre? I don't know how you say his first name. I think name. that's how you say it. I'm not sure how you pronounce the first name. Czech or Czech, it's C-H-E-I-C-K, um, Torre. And this one comes from, uh, is it Chris Smith? Is that the yes. writer's name? Yeah, so writing for 90minutes.com, 90min.com, sorry. But this one seems like a little bit more concrete with a little more substance to it. And so this guy, you, you want to give us some of the background details on this guy? I know that he recent most recent club was young PSV, which is PSV's second team. And so there is an Austin connection there. So this one seems credible. Yeah, so he's played uh, 48 times for PSV Eindhoven, second stream, young PSV over the past few years. Uh, follows three years at Feyenoord, where he played at youth levels. Had the opportunity in 2017 to play in uh, Eredivisie, uh, which is their first league. So he's notched 28 goals and 14 assists in 140 games. Um, not a ton of goal contributions. He's listed as a forward. He's listed as a, uh, I think, like a left winger who loves to cut it on the right. And as we've talked about many times, that it's a position where we need depth uh, if you don't believe in the Roddy Redis experiment. Um, but you also found some stuff around him that makes one to believe that maybe that is not where he's playing now and may not be where he ends up in Austin. Yeah, I mean, looking at his numbers and kind of the level he was playing at, He's he's not scoring goals in the second division in the Netherlands. And so like the Netherlands first division is a stronger league than MLS on the whole, but the second division is almost certainly not. And so if he's not like putting up numbers in that league, I don't know that we could expect him to come in and get a bunch of goals and assists in MLS. And so that made me think like okay, this is a like a next pro signing. Like this is a guy that's going to play for Austin too. But then looking through uh, some of his footage, I got on Y scout and was watching in his last five or six games at young PSV, which were last spring. So he played the 2021, 2022 season with young PSV, the last part of the season he was playing at right back. And so that made me think, like, Oh, maybe they, maybe they are looking at him for the first team and they're going to try to do a John Gallagher conversion project and, and turn this guy into a fullback. Yeah. So what I, that, well, I was going to say, like, sorry, what, what, I was gonna, what would you like to see? Like knowing, knowing what you've seen from him, like, where do you think his most natural place to play is? And I mean, another thing I don't, uh, we don't have a lot of international spots available on the first team. Right, which, yeah, that's which true. makes which makes this a little bit complicated too, unless he's going to sign uh, a next pro contract. Yeah, I mean, all that said, like I still don't expect a lot from this guy. I mean the the Eredivisie is like it's a league known for poor defense and an extreme focus on offense, and so the fact that like they're playing a winger at fullback is not that surprising, really. And so he, I mean, he's, he's quick. He seems to be pretty good on the ball. 
has a, a decent cross. I didn't see anything that like wowed me as far as his crossing or passing. And so, um, like the fact that he's not a, a true fullback and doesn't seem to really fit that mold either. I still don't have a lot of high hopes for this guy and probably think that if he sees minutes, I mean, if we sign him, this is not official yet. Anyway, if he signs and he sees any minutes, it will most likely be for, um, the second team. Well, let's get into one more. And sorry, I wanted to make one more point about this. Like this is, you're seeing kind of the PSV connection in a few ways. Now the Owen Wolf to PSV rumor, I think I've seen that cited a few more times on Twitter and different, different outlets. And then you see this one, like this is maybe one of those cases where, okay, PSV did not resign Torre to a contract, but maybe they're whoever they're talking to at Austin FC are saying like, Hey, yeah, we, we got this kid. Like we didn't want him anymore, but maybe y'all could take a look at him. Like those little things. I think that's probably some of the, the fruits of this, this arrangement that we're going to start seeing. Um, and going back to the Owen Wolf thing, I, I meant to say this on the show that we talked about that on, but if Owen Wolf goes to PSV, I think he would almost certainly be playing for a young PSV on the second team. Um, he's PSG's first team is really good and has a lot of really high level players on it at the moment. Whereas their second team is like, a, for the most part, they're fielding like 17 to 20 year olds on that team. So Owen's about to turn 18. Um, that would probably be the place where he would fit in if he does go over. Yeah. I get that's super encouraging. Cause like when we did that show, when we got to meet the queen, and talked about what might come out of this partnership. I think even even these rumors are things that we thought like maybe down the road, sooner or later, like maybe this would come out of it. But just to know that like maybe it's going to come to fruition just a few months after, um, yeah. it's really exciting. Sorry, go ahead and uh, and oh yeah, the next thing you're yeah. yeah. So we get this we get <laughs> this mystery tweet from Renan uh, and the guys at We Are Awesome TV about possibly a player going out that would make everybody very sad. And we usually don't just talk about... There's a lot of rumors on Twitter. And we don't usually talk about them. But a few weeks ago, Ernan was the first person to tweet about Jesse Sardes possibly ending up in Austin. So like the guy's not just making things up. And friend, They were on Rigoni early, too. And they were on Rigoni early, too. Right. So like friend of ours, friend of the show, like love them, love what they do. So, but I think because of that... It makes this worth talking about, and there's like no actual news. It's just there's bad news, and it's going to make us all sad, which I think we all believe was going to be that there's like a player headed out. Um, so like, what's your list? What's your list of people who are going to go out who's who might make you sad to see that happen? Yeah, Ernan's got people worked up right now, and maybe a few people kind of mad at him, but. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he's hinting at a player leaving the team, essentially. Um, looking at the roster, I mean, putting on my, my swoon tower glasses, there's like, well, most you're, so you're going to include Julio Cascante now suddenly because putting on swoon tower glasses. <laughs> I was just going to say that there's like on an emotional level, I would be sad to see like almost any of the players leave. But if you're looking at at this from a moon tower perspective, we're just talking about on field product on field production. How hard is a player to replace? I mean, I think that makes the list of players that I would be sad to see go 
quite a bit shorter. And so uh, maybe we can just like kind of go through the two most obvious ones are Sebastian Drusi and Diego Fagundes. Uh, probably the two most irreplaceable guys on the team. The Drusi rumors, there's like Drusi to Leeds that was going on, I don't know, a month ago or so. There's been a lot of other rumors of players going to Leeds and the Drusi thing has seemed to have fallen off. So that doesn't mean it's gone necessarily, but it just kind of dilutes it a little bit to say like, okay, there's a lot of people being linked to Leeds right now. And so maybe we don't need to put as much value on on this one report that Drusi was being looked at. Yeah, there's like the hopefully the Drusi and Claudio hanging out in uh, Qatar right after Drusi was shirtless in the stands cheering on <laughs> cheering on this club in the final. Hopefully like leads to a little bit of uh, dismissal of that. Yeah, and then Diego is the other one. We talked about this one on, I don't know, last week or two weeks ago where, I mean, if, if he were to go, it would have to be for like a pretty good sum of money at this point. Um, and he's, he's on a contract. And so like, I don't, I don't know that there's like imminent danger of Diego leaving maybe in the not so distant future there would be, but at this very moment, I don't know that we're in danger of him, him being gone necessarily. Yeah, I would agree. He's, um, he doesn't seem to be like the guy who's, who, who would be part of this just because I think it's, I think it would be longer term. Yeah. Um, who, who else would be on your list here? Well, well, obviously Brad Stuver would be on my list, but he just signed a long-term deal. So like it's right. not him. Yeah. It seems super unlikely, right? Just he's top on a short list of like best players at his position in the league. And so, and for how little money he's on, I know he just got a new contract, but it's comparatively speaking to guys playing at, at the same level as him, I'm guessing he's still not going to be like relatively not on a ton of money. And so value for, for product that you're getting for Brad Stuver would be very difficult to replace. Um, The other, another player that, that would be on this list for me is Ruben Gabrielson, just because, uh, just like the the combination of of performance experience like kind of the cultural fit it would be difficult to find another guy that would step in and and have the same kind of output on this team i think yeah I, yeah i would agree with that i mean and he's such a became such a leader kind of out of nowhere so quickly and so integrated into the club that i would be that would, that would also be um major concern i think the other guy that we have to keep talking about is Danny Pereira um you know, he's not making a ton of money. He's has a lot of promise. Um, I think Austin's very motivated to keep him and keep him on the kind of deal he has. But I, like, I expect he has some kind of international potential. I can see somebody trying to swoop him up and an amount of money that maybe makes it appealing to Austin FC to, to move him. So that's one that like would not, that, that would like affect me on a personal level, but from a soccer perspective, like that one wouldn't really phase me because he's, he's got like these, these moments of brilliance, like these really high level abilities, but then also has some liabilities, has some spots he needs to grow in still. And so if he were to leave, it would likely be for, uh, like, a decent sum of money that we could then go out and, and use to spend on someone. 
And like when you're talking about replacing Juicy, that's one thing. But Danny is like he's a, a a pretty good midfielder in MLS at the moment. And so potential aside, if we're talking about his production at the moment, it's not super hard to replace. Like not easy, but much easier than Juicy or or Fagundes or Stuver, right? And so uh, I think another player, Alex Ring, like he's good. He's the leader. He's the captain. But if you're talking about production, if you're going to sell a DP player, you'd think you're getting a fair amount of money back from them. Again, go out, spend that money on someone that you know can step in and do a job. Um, is there anybody? I mean, like Uruti, we're talking about him maybe wanting to leave. Yeah. Uh, but again, like with Zardes in and with GTA kind of coming on at the end of last season, like I want Ruti on the team, but if if he left, I don't think it would be devastating. Yeah, my only other possibility was Jute, just because there seem to be a lot of people that rate him and are excited about him. Because part of this tweet was like, this is a thing that fan base in general is going to be disappointed by, and I feel like a lot right. of people would be sad to see Jute go, but I feel like that's, uh, again, it's a replaceable, I feel like it's a replaceable piece of this whole Austin FC experiment and project. Yeah. Um, anybody else that you think should be on this list. No, I mean we. I, I feel certain we've been told it's not Owen Wolf. So like that's the only other. Yeah, <laughs> that's the only one. I don't think so. I think that's it. That's like half the team. So apparently we yeah. have we've not narrowed it down much at all. And I look forward to, I guess, learning what it is. But it's kind of the nature of this league, right? And we talked about that a little bit a few weeks ago, where it's like ten players left from Austin FC's like original game day roster. So all these guys are going to be a memory at some point and it's like kind of sad and it's a little bit of a lesson on appreciating them in the moment and what they contributed um, and not specifically falling in love with too much with any one player or one person. Um, but it's just one of these things that's going to happen. It's probably yeah. um, unlike the way that Houston cleared out their lineup, you know, roster this year, like the fact that we're all worried about these people going on to greener pastures and not trying to like cut a whole bunch of dead weight. is also a really good, uh, lesson for the way Austin's playing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll all find out in due time. Hopefully people don't kill Hernan between now and then. <laughs> um, Jeremiah, you want to move on to a couple of listener questions? Yeah, let's do those. We've had a couple of questions. I think there's these from Patreon. This sat for a little while. They're both pretty interesting, but they're both ones that we wanted to like spend a little bit of time on and not rush through. So let's get into them. All right. This uh, first one comes from... I. So this is a thing I never know if I should like dox people on their their Twitter identities or not. So should we say the real name or should we say the Twitter name? Oh, Twitter's going down in flames. It's like it's going to not exist in three months. So it's fine. Okay, we're, call, we're call it whatever. Yeah, Patreon name. This is from Alex Mod. Um, and there's a few questions in this, but I think we can kind of like take it apart and go through it. He says it's preseason for the 2026 season. What do you think the best but realistic case, worst case, and most likely case for what the MLS will be like at that point. And so uh, I, I guess the first question kind of kind of goes into this, which is, will it be considered a top seven league by then? Uh, I'm going to say hard no on top seven by then. Um, I think like MLS at best is like top 10 league in the world at the moment. So to think that we would jump 
three or five or six spots or however many it would be to get to number seven in three and a half years. Uh, I don't think that's realistic. Um, but yeah, do, do you have a take on like what you hope MLS is when the World Cup comes in 26? Well, I was going to say, I think the most interesting part of this question is the time framing in that it's preseason for the 2026 season. So it's the cup, the World Cup has not happened yet. Right. Right. Because, yeah, I would agree. I think with the Apple deal, which increases over time, so we're not going to see like a ton of money, you know, up front in the next few years. I could see some growth. You know, I've seen MLS between like 11 and 15 or 11 and 18 somewhere, like standing today, like maybe move up a spot or two. I think, the, I think the real potential is after the 2026 World Cup, if the U.S. performs well, even though it's like American players aren't going to play in MLS. I think that's where the growth is um, down the road. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that MLS will probably still be around 10 down then, um, even in the same spot that maybe we are now, but a little bit higher. Yeah, I, I think going back to like the the heart of the question, like what the worst case scenario is, I think the worst case scenario is that MLS waits until after the World Cup to try to like ride that wave and then they start investing and start trying to improve the league. Like they need to they need to be prepping for that leading up to the World Cup. So that way like people watch the World Cup, they maybe go to a game or get to see it in their city. They get really excited about soccer. Okay, what else can I watch? MLS is on. Cool. Let's check that out. And then it's, I don't know, Breck Shea is still like a starting player in this league. Like it's not going to be the, like, it's not going to keep their excitement up. So MLS needs to do some investing and improve the product on the field before that World Cup happens. Uh, So like, Best case scenario is going to be like, okay, let's open up the floodgates. Let's let's get Messi in next year. Let's bring in bigger stars, younger stars, better players, top to bottom. Let teams spend more and really become like a, a player in the world market for, for soccer talent. That's the best case scenario. But I think the more realistic thing is somewhere in between where they kind of slow play it and open up spending a little bit improve the product a little bit, but probably not as much as we we think they should or as much as some of the owners want to. But I think one of the reasons that I think that might happen, and this is totally from listen to Allocation Disorder, which is now in the it's the athletic soccer show field feed now, I think. Yeah, that's right. Um is I remember right after the last CBA came out that many of the owners understood that finally that you have to invest the money first just from the like the ratings never going up like you have to spend the money first and the ratings will come as opposed to this waiting on people to watch it on tv and then making the money investment so hopefully like the bulk of the league and sort of the surety of knowing from apple whether they made a bunch of money in the first three years of the deal or not or whether it's backloaded like hopefully like knowing security that there's a bunch of money coming will convince the ownership overall that they need to like invest in players first because that is absolutely what it takes. Right? Like I talk to people all the time who are soccer fans who don't rate MLS and and still see it as a retirement league, which I would agree like would argue with like the bulk of the talent are like young South Americans that are coming up and seeing that as a path. But like 
that's not the common narrative. So like I, I think hopefully the owners see that and decide that they need to invest in in, in the player pool. Right, and it, it's. I think MLS is better than most people that don't watch MLS think it is, but it's not on them to educate themselves necessarily. It's on the like the league itself to to prove them wrong and give them a reason to watch it. And so if they just kind of keep it status quo and go go on as they've been doing, those people are are never going to be proven wrong. Um so yeah, I think I think they need to do it. Hopefully some of the more conservative owners the folks who don't want to spend the money either get out or or realize that like this is the way we have to do it now but um but yeah i mean it's it's a big opportunity for the the world cup to be here that they really need to take advantage of because it's not going to do it itself they need they need to meet it halfway and to your point they need to get ahead of it it's like they need to make that investment in the next three and a half years so that when it's over people see this league in 27 as being you know, high quality league and something that they should invest their time in watching. Um, let's go to the other question, which is Brad from Patreon. Can you talk about how MLS is structured compared to other leagues? This is going to be very unique. Or leagues around the world and why? For example, what caused England to have a bunch of individually owned football teams springing up compared to MLS when it's more of a franchise model? Are all MLS teams profitable? I think we yeah, can probably that, split this into two pieces overall. Yeah, th- this makes me think of that. Um that scene in the office where Michael's Michael Scott says, why are you the way that you are? Yeah. And has like a scornful look on his face. And this is the way that I, and a lot of people look at MLS sometimes and just say like, why, why are you this? And there, there is like a pretty, uh, I don't want to say good reason. There's, there is a reason why it is the way it is. And so you, the league that preceded MLS was the old NASL, which I think existed from like the 60s to the 80s or something like that. And at its peak, had some of like the biggest stars in the world. Uh, Pele played in this league. Franz Beckenbauer played in this league. Like it was no limit spending. You could spend whatever you wanted. What that turned into was... There was essentially one big team, which was the New York Cosmos. What they called? The Cosmos. The New York yeah. Cosmos, yeah. And the other teams were struggling to keep up. And so this went on for a while. It got a lot of attention for a while, but eventually they went broke and they couldn't afford to have a league anymore and it died. And the U.S. went, uh, what was it, like... 10 something years without Probably, a league at yeah, all. Even more than that. I mean, and some of those, like the, the only ones that hang on and play professionally are playing indoor soccer. Like at some of those, uh, Olymp- uh, not Olympic, like national teams are like made up of mostly indoor soccer players and college co- players. Yeah, and college players, which is not a way to build a league out. And it's very, it's a very American way to look at things. I think, you know, in terms of, uh, of, of like, the results um, and you know, the system. Uh, but that's why when MLS was formed, like the one thing that MLS was formed to do was to not fail. And that's what right. you have to look at that. That model is like a, basically like a, you know, recession proof, economy proof, like success proof model, which going back to our last question is why there are ownership groups. They're going to limit 
how much people can spend and how like how like what kind of dynasty teams you can have because it's sort of they were there atoning for the sins of the past. Yeah, and so part of the question is asking like why England has a bunch of individually owned teams whereas MLS is like this single entity model and it's because England has like they've been doing this for over 100 years and it was just kind of like this organic thing where like back in the day it would be like okay the all the people who work at this factory had a team that they would play on together and they would play the guys from the guys that worked down at the mill and they had a team and it just kind of like came up from that over time and eventually professionalized at some point and became what it is today. Uh, U.S. soccer is is younger than that in many ways because the country is younger, but also just like the, the professionalization of it started much later and then happened much faster. It didn't it didn't grow out of like kind of a grassroots thing like it did in a lot of other places. But over time, like we talked about the single entity thing built to just be able to continue to exist. And even in the span of MLS, which started in 96, that hasn't always been a sure thing. There are moments in those early years where they thought it was going to die. And a few of the owners like essentially saved it single-handedly. Yeah, what, like two or and three so, at that point, right? Wasn't it? Oh, yeah, like owned all loose, the teams. Like the hunt? Yeah, like owned all the teams. Um, but over time they've like extended out these rules, kind of like taking advantage of certain opportunities to change the rules in their own favor. And that's, that's how we've gotten into like this weird situation that is MLS roster rules. And so like the, the reason why it existed in the first place, I think was, was good and necessary where we've gotten to is kind of a mess. Uh, it's, it's, working to an extent in the fact that like American soccer is getting better. This league is getting better, but it's still really weird. And so like there is a reason that it started that way, but it's not necessarily a valid reason to continue doing things that the way that we are doing, but we, we have a few of these like vestigial uh, owners who are still thinking about the league in an old way where some of the newer owners would like to push it into the future and are not allowed to. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like one of the simple things that we've heard, you know, in terms of spending is like, just, just like, per, like expand the limit of expand the options available. Like if you want to say, if you want to say like $16 million as much as this club can spend on a roster, you know, every year, like, just let the clubs decide how to allocate that money as opposed to the current, like, very specific structure. On the our MLSC's profitable model, I don't know that they are necessarily on a year-to-year basis, but I do know that MLS teams, like, go for more than Premier League teams these days just because of the security of the business model. So, like, if you're a, a rich guy, um, because of the way the league is set up, you're almost guaranteed to not lose money. Yeah, and it's... It, yeah, I think you're exactly right. Like, I think there are teams that make money. I would just like doing back of the napkin math on Austin. <laughs> oh, Austin has to be uh, making money. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like selling out every game, the concessions, all of that. Like Austin is profitable. Um, if you look at a team, I don't know, like RSL or maybe even like Dallas, like without the Academy, 
like Dallas is maybe profitable because they sell players, but as far as like uh, tickets and concessions, like probably not on that part, but it's about the investment. And that's why these like old school owners don't want to spend money on it because they're not worried about like day-to-day revenue or profits. They're about spending as little money as possible while this this property they own appreciates in value and then they can cash in on it at some point. And so um yeah, I don't I don't think all of them are profitable on the short-term basis, but all of them will be extremely profitable whenever they get out at some point or um maybe just stick around long enough to see it become profitable because the like the rising tide lifts all the ships. Well, I guess before we get out of here, let's talk about a TV show that's going to lead to a tour. It's going to lead to like a uh, discussion from our miniature of culture and possible owner. Um, and that is like Wrexham apparently is coming to the United States and touring clubs. Like, first of all, did you watch the show? I did. I enjoyed the show. I did not. I don't even know what it's on. I feel like I would like it, but... Oh, you didn't watch it? No, I haven't watched it. I don't know. I, don't... I think it's on Hulu. Um, Hulu's, the one, Hulu's the one thing I don't have, which explains... like Every time somebody talks to me about something on Hulu, it's like, I'm not familiar with this, but maybe I'll check it's it out. Good. It's good. Um, did you watch Sunderland Till I Die? I did watch Sunderland Till I Die. This is like the... It's kind of like the American version of Sunderland till I die for people who don't really know that much about soccer. And that's what's super interesting is like I have all kinds of friends of mine who don't know that much about soccer who like maybe even more than Ted Lasso have been like, oh, I'm interested in this game because I've watched this show and it's always sunny in Philadelphia is probably my favorite show in the history of television. And Rob McElhaney is one of the owners. So I really feel like I should have watched it. And we all have to agree, Ryan Reynolds is very handsome <laughs> in an undoubtable way and super charming. So, like, I feel like I should have, but I don't have Hulu. Um, I, I would really love to see a... So, like I said, like, Wrexham... What is it called? Welcome to Wrexham. Welcome to Wrexham, yeah. It's very much, like, focused on a non-soccer crowd and kind of explaining, like, how... Uh, promotion relegation works, how like kind of like the tradition of of British soccer, uh, Welsh culture, kind of the culture of this little town, how important the team is to this town. And so like it's a lot of stuff like as a hardcore soccer fan, it's not going to be new stuff, but it's still it's good storytelling. And so th- the story that they're telling is really good. The two guys are are entertaining, like they're funny people. And so they're entertaining on it. I would love to see like the Sunderland till I die version of this same story, almost like a a parallel piece where in Sunderland till I die, like you got to see those like boardroom discussions where it's like, okay, we, we need a striker, but if you want to go after this guy, like here's the limit, because if we spend more than this and don't get promoted, like we're screwed, like we cannot do it. And then it hard cuts to the chairman on the phone and he spends twice as much as he was supposed to on the striker. And then they just hold the camera and he realizes like what he's done. And so like, I want to see that part of buying this like lower league team and then trying to grow it. Like I would love to know the business part, like the scouting part, talking to players, trying to get them there. And you get a little, little, like a little bit of that in it. But I, 
I wish there was like a companion piece that was for soccer people. Cause I think it would be fascinating. Well, I, I love that. So uh, do, do you think, are we going to see Wrexham and Austin at Q2? It seems likely, right? So McConaughey was on, uh, was it a Fox broadcast? Some One of the nationally broadcast games, he was in the commentary. It's a playoff game, right? Yeah. And said, like, yeah, I've, I've been talking to, to Ryan Reynolds, seeing if we can get a friendly set up with Wrexham. And then it was announced, like, not long after that, like, yeah, Wrexham's going to maybe come to the U.S. And now it's, is this, like, official official or is this still? No, they, they've yeah, announced no, it. No, yeah, it's, it's official official. It's on World Soccer Talk that uh, Rob McElhaney announced they were going to uh, they were gonna uh, do a summer tour. I think we're going to, like, six or eight cities or something. I don't remember exactly what it was. But, yeah, he's the, the plan was that... Uh, the, they're in. They're going to come. So I would have to imagine that Austin, both in terms of that connection, but just in terms of if you were a soccer club from somewhere else in the world, I feel like Austin's one of the places you would want to visit just because of the ongoing history that Austin has in supporting soccer in all forms. Yeah, just like what are the most exciting places in the U.S. to go for soccer right now? Austin's on that list. Like it, It's on the short list. And then the Hollywood connection as well. You'd have to think they're going to go to LAFC. For sure. Uh, Miami. They're, they're, going to, they're going to go to Miami. Yeah. Um, as far as like what to expect from this game, so Wrexham is like a, a pretty low-level team. I think they're like, is it fifth division that they play in? I think that's right. And so like I don't know what kind of team will field will be fielded against them if they do come, but like – it's a it's a situation where like Austin FC should handily beat this team. Maybe we'll play I don't know some academy kids against them or something. But so lo- the long awaited Roddy Redis hat trick might come. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this is his time to shine. All right. Anything else before we wrap up, Jeremiah? No, let's wrap it up. All right. Before we finish, we'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Come find us on Twitter at LVHero87 at jbentley underscore ATX. Uh, I started a Mastodon account. I still don't know how to use it or understand exactly what it is, but I am on there uh, under my name. So, yeah, go there if you want to. I haven't posted anything yet. (laughs) Um, Sign up for the Patreon. We talked about the quiz show we're going to do with Marcelo. Uh, We're going to try to do a video element that we would – then ideally post to Patreon. And so if that works out, the only way you're going to see it is if you are a member of the Patreon. So sign up there. And then we'd like to encourage you to visit the Striker where you can get a 30% discount with the code MOONTOWER22 with a capital M. Jeremiah, what should folks look out for there? Yeah, it's like it's. like there's been a lot of just World Cup covers lately, uh, but one of the things that I, we've talked about that we appreciate about the Striker is the coverage not only of multiple geographies with multiple leagues. So uh, Theo Lloyd Hughes, who is also the uh, social media person, just wrote a an article about the Houston Dash coaching search, which is something you probably cannot find anywhere else, including like in mainstream media outlets in Houston. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. We will be back next week with a pre-recorded Moon Tower Soccer, which will be this quiz show edition with Marcelo hosting. Uh, like we said, if any big news happens between now and then, we'll probably try to do a little addendum, but definitely have the quiz show in any case. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around.
Thank for nothing, see you never. La gente. Oh my god.